The last time I came here, I had this same issue and I forgot when I got here. I almost sung my voice out sitting over there and I was like, oh, I got to preach. And so I had to keep back, but I, I need y'all to quit that. Y'all got to quit doing this to me. It'd be something in here, the spirit just be real and be thick and I'd just be in my moment. And I was like, oh, I, I got here for other duties. I, I got to have a word and I need a voice. So thankfully, I, something hit me that I came back to reality. But thank you guys so much for the worship, just the authenticity, the realness, the genuineness. And it was just, mm, it was so powerful. So thank you. I am so excited to be here to share a message with you. I love being in Memphis. Anytime I get a chance to come this way, there's so many great restaurants, so much good food. Uh, I got to go to Babalu, one of my favorite places whenever I come here. So I always enjoy being in Memphis. And I'm excited about the lesson this morning because we're in the season of Lent. And Lent is one of the most powerful seasons in the Christian calendar because it reminds us of our mortality. Lent calls us to remember who we are and our limitations. So if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Romans, the fifth chapter. We'll begin around verse 12. And while you're turning there, let me kind of set this up for what Paul is doing in the entirety of Romans. Because if you've ever read Romans all the way through, if you've studied through Romans, you realize that all Paul actually does in Romans is flesh out the entirety of the gospel. It is the gospel completely, literally explained and fleshed out into practical implications toward the end of what the gospel is, how it functions, the blessing that comes from it, and how we live into it, and why it matters. And so there's no scarier text for me in all of scripture than Romans. I'd any moment rather preach Revelation than Romans. And you're probably like, that's crazy. Because the implication for Romans is so powerful. The theological depth that Paul writes with and that he seeks to convey changes everything. And I literally mean seriously, it changes everything. And so this morning, I want you to hear a portion of this in Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 12, and to see how we'll make an application of this text. In Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, and I'm reading from an NLT, I think, is what I chose this morning. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not law yet, and there was no law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God, as Adam did. No, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different. Mm, did you hear that? He says, for Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. 
Even though we are guilty of many sins, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made right. I don't know about you, but if you can't say amen to that, I don't know what's going on here this morning. When we first moved to Nashville roughly three years ago, we started our ministry at Rural Hill January 1st of 2020. Uh, wonderful time to start after three months, you know, everything shut down. So we moved to Nashville, we were renting for the year, and we knew we would buy soon after that, and so we started looking where we were going to buy, and we found a subdivision that was building new homes. And so we've got this new home that we bought, and we moved into it literally two years ago this month. Now, this was our first time moving into a new subdivision where they were building houses, and we knew there'd still be some construction, but we didn't realize what new construction brought with it. Uh, new construction not only brings noise, but it brings some interesting animals. Because at one time, where you now live, animals live there. And they don't all just pack up and leave because you decide to move in. And so, occasionally we have deer that run through the yard and through the streets, and that's not the worst thing. You have rabbits and things. But we also have these critters called mice that happen to find their way around in our backyard. And the reason I know this is because we have two dogs who like to bring us gifts. <laughs> and occasionally they come up to the back porch where they go in and out, and in their mouth that they have shaken to death is a mice. Now, nobody told me 12 and a half years ago when I said I do that not only was I supposed to be a provider and a protector, but also, I was now animal control. I didn't know that. I, I might have thought harder about those vows had that been in there. But because my wife does not deal with dead animals, she looked at me, screamed, and said, get that. <laughs> to which the dog thought we were playing a game as it shakes and moves and runs around the backyard trying to keep the mouse. And my wife is just hysterical at this point, like, get rid of that, get that out of your mouth. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. He seems to enjoy it. Let him have it. <laughs> so after I get rid of the mouse and get it, you know, packaged up and thrown away, because I don't like mice either, especially not dead ones, I finally got that taken care of. But then after the first time that happened, it was like a month later, in our garage there was this horrible smell. Oh, some of you might have had this scenario, I guess. <laughs> There was this terrible smell that I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And no matter where I looked and how hard I tried to find where the smell was just radiating from, I just couldn't seem to get it. And so every time we went out in the garage to get ready to leave to pull a car, it was almost, you ever had like something that smells so bad it's almost like you taste it? That's what it was. And it seemed like progressively, day by day, it was getting worse. To the point that it was like, going out in the garage just gave me a headache, and I was like, I just got to go figure out where this is. So, after looking all over, in one of our little traps, because we have people who come out and like, basically control the, per uh, put stuff out on the perimeter to keep rodents and other critters away from our, inside our house, on the top side of it, 
there was this little mouse that had gotten stuck. I don't know how I got up to the top side on the sticky part. Usually they're on the bottom, it was on the top. And so you finally get it and put it in the bag, throw it in the dumpster outside. Problem solved. At least I thought. But I didn't realize how long that smell would linger, even after getting rid of what was dead. And so still, when you go in the garage for like the next couple hours and the next couple days as we just had to leave the garage, you still smell the smell of death and decay. And I tell you that because I always wonder when I read this text in Romans 5, what does God smell? When God takes a great deep breath through his nostrils, what scent, what fragrance resonates with him? And so we see for God in this text that because of Adam, the God who created life and created life to be lived eternally, abundantly with him in relationship, that when sin enters, death therefore follows. And he tells us what sin is, that sin leads to death because what happens in death is the separation of the life force, which is the spirit within us, from the actual physical body. That is what death is. So this is why we find out in the Gospels, it tells us that Jesus breathes his last. The body becomes uninhabitable and the spirit is removed from it. The body, therefore, is dead and lifeless. It is in a state of decay. But what we find in Romans is that all of us who have been cursed by sin because of Adam have been in a state of decay since we arrived. And so because of sin, God breathes in that awful, toxic, very much potent, pungent smell of death. God smells the decay, the scent that lingers, the smell that is so visceral that he tastes it. And thankfully, God got tired of the smell and did something about the problem. And that's the gospel. That the smell was so potent, the fragrance was so tangible and so problematic that God asked Jesus to take care of what I couldn't clean up. That the stain of death, because of sin, the smell, the odor of my fragrance was so problematic that God decides to remove it. God has to bag up death and decay and take it out. And Paul says, so just as sin marked us all through Adam's soul, we are now marked with righteousness through Jesus. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us is the solution to the stench. Now I know some of you said, well maybe this morning I might not have taken the shower the best that I should have, or maybe I forgot to put on deodorant or any antiperspirant, that's okay, just keep your arms down, it's all right. But I don't care how much you wash, I don't care if you bathed your soul and your spirit in tide, I don't care if you soaked it in bleach, or even if you dipped it in vinegar, you couldn't get rid of the decay and the smell of sinfulness. What it needed, Paul says, was the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of the smell of death and decay, because that was our ultimate fate, because sin has touched and tainted all of us. And so I needed God to clean me, to wash me, to make me whole, and to get rid of my stink. But sometimes I forget that I smelled bad. Sometimes I forget that maybe I didn't always smell so good. 
And so here in Romans, Paul reminds all of us, whether Jew or Greek, whether you've been in the church a long time or a little time, that at one time we all stank. We all smelled bad. And God breathed on us and God smelled us and God was like, Ooh! And he decided not to turn away, but he decided to clean us up. God decided that the smell was so potent, so pungent, and he got tired of smelling it. And so he tried, even with the law, to get rid of the smell or at least to mask it. He gave them the sacrificial system that we see as they come out of Exodus and then they move into Leviticus because sinfulness is even great in the wilderness that he provides a way Kind of like we do when you light a candle. It doesn't necessarily get rid of the smell. It just covers it for a while. Or you spray that air mist stuff that makes it harder to breathe and less smelly. But it really doesn't do anything. Or for some of you, you just refuse to use soap and water. And you just be spraying that Axe body spray and everybody else's. Some of y'all got 7th and 8th grade boys. I just, just, just. They just go to camp and they just imagine that this body spray is the same as the shower. And it's like... I need you to wash your body, not spray Axe. Or if you're going to spray Axe, spray Axe after you wash your body. But see, because they don't smell themselves, they just imagine that, hey, I don't smell anything. Everybody else should be good. But you realize that when we have sin, God smells us even when I don't smell me. And God decided, I'm not just going to let you put Axe on it. I'm not just going to ask you to keep bringing offerings and sacrifices and putting them on the table and putting them on the altar and keep offering to me, thinking that it fixed the problem. It just covered the smell for a while that allowed God to breathe for a moment and not have to deal with the pungent odor for a moment. But it didn't actually fix the death and decay problem. And so God does something ultimately through Jesus that solves my odor issue for eternity. And Paul says that Jesus, through his death on the cross, this one man, he does what I couldn't do. See, when he says that through one man's sin, death came, there's going to be a moment for all of us in which the spirit that inhabits our body, that animates this physical flesh, will actually remove itself from this body. And to dust that we made, to dust we will return. But for those of us who have Christ Jesus, there's another body on the other side that Paul talks about. And so when the spirit removes itself from this body, it will attach itself to a new body. And that new body was made by God, and that new body that the spirit will then inhabit will never stink, and it will never smell. It will never face aches and pains, it will never grow old, and it will never grow weary. Hallelujah, somebody. When that body is now animated with the spirit that is firm currently in this body, that body will never have to deal with this body had to deal with. But for those of us who don't have Jesus Christ, when the spirit leaves that body, there's nowhere for it to go. And in order for the spirit to exist in a tangible form, it needs a body. Have you realized that this is the reason that Paul uses the metaphor of the body of Christ? Because we needed Christ's body in order for us to get a new body so that when our spirit leaves this body, it has somewhere to go. And if I don't have somewhere for my spirit to go when this body goes, then there goes all of me. This is the gospel. The gospel is how God provided a way for this spirit to leave this decaying, stinky body to get to a body that will never smell again. 
And we praise God for that. During the season of Lent, we are reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus and my own mortality that, yes, Josh, you have a stinky problem. It's called sin. But God saw you in the midst of all your mess and all your chaos and how bad you smell, and he weathered through it to provide you an out to a new life in which you will never be guilty of smelling bad again. And so now, because of Jesus, when God breathes in next to me, I smell good. Like Chanel number five, just. <laughs> or whatever fancy perfume or cologne you wear. I smell good because I smell like life and not death. I smell like one who is connected to what God ultimately redeemed in all of the world, which is all of humanity to live. And God can now stand to be around me. See, some of you know that sometimes there are people who smell bad and you keep them at a distance. It's not because you don't like them, it's just because the smell sometimes is so pungent and so potent that you're like, I just need you to stand over there. Have you ever had somebody whose breath was just so hot and bad and it was all in your state that your eyes started watering? This is our relationship with God before Jesus. And until Jesus takes away the odor, God has to hold us at a distance because he can't, smell the, he can't take the smell of decay. The smell of death is so problematic. And God desires to be close to us. God desires to be so near us. God desires what Paul talks about in the garden, to walk with us in the cool of the day. But God can't walk next to you with stinky odor and bad breath. God gets rid of those odors so that we can be in relationship with What if Paul had never come in contact with the God that cleaned him up? What if many of us had never been cleaned up through the work of God? Paul says, then the smell remains. The stench and the odor persist. But God doesn't want that for us. What God wants is to give us life, to take away that decaying smell as our flesh returns to Greek. Do you know the type of power that it takes to clean up sin and to get rid of the smell of decay and death? It takes a God-like power. It takes a supernatural power to clean me up from where I came from and all that I have done. It takes the blood of Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, the same blood that cleans me can clean you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you think you've been, how horrible life might have been to you. There's nothing you have done or will do that the blood of Jesus can't cure. It can wash all of it out. They say that it's hard to get red wine out of the carpet. The blood of Jesus can do it. The blood of Jesus can do it. I don't care if it's blood stains on the coat. The blood of Jesus can get them out.
Well, I took my pea coat to get it dry cleaned. I had a stand on it. And they was like, we don't know if we can get this out. Jesus can get it out. So regardless of how bad you smell, how bad you look, the blood of Jesus can take care of it all. And so this morning, as we transition to a very intimate time with Jesus, one of the most intimate moments, as we look at that body that is represented through the bread and his shed blood that is represented through the cup, I want us to remember the power that it took to clean each and every one of us. The power in those emblems is what it took to get rid of my smell, to move me from death and decay to life, is what it symbolizes. And Jesus tells his disciples that I will not eat or drink of this until I eat and drink with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus says, I won't eat this until you smell completely good in the afterlife. I won't be physically present with you until you have been completely cleaned up. But I'm thankful that every Sunday, as we gather around the table, we are reminded of the power of God and the gospel of what it took to move me from death to life. It took that sacrifice so that God didn't have to smell me anymore. And I smelled bad. And God took away that stench. So as we come to the table this morning, there will be those gathered at it, there will be those around the room to pray with you. But I want you to meditate on that. Because when we come to the table, we smell good. Not because I'm a good person but because of Jesus. Let us pray for the bread and the cup in our time of communing together. Our Heavenly Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who was in the beginning, who is present now, who will always be, we thank you. Because of sin, God, we were lost. Death, was an open door for each and every one of us. Though we might not have recognized that we were slowly walking through it by the number of years that you grant us. But God, through Jesus, for those of us who are in him, you closed the door of death and reopened the door of life. And so, God, this morning as we come to the table, we walk boldly, faithfully through the door of life to meet you. Not because we're good, but because the blood of Jesus is on the doorpost. And so, God, we come with confidence to your table, entering your throne. Because when you see us, you see people who've been made right, who look good and smell good by the blood of the Lamb. So God, we ask you to bless us as we partake of the body of our Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. The body that was pierced for our transgression. As we're covered by the blood that is represented by the cup that flowed down to wash away our sin. God, as we partake of that, as we enjoy this meal, May we do so with hearts of celebration, 
Mm. Because you did a powerful work. And may we be thankful and grateful for it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.